0: Welcome back to the Meet St. Louis podcast, brought to you by Mattress Direct, your local sleep specialist. Each week, we take you behind the scenes of your favorite restaurants, breweries, and small businesses. I'm your host, Alexis Sotos with KMOV. Five years ago, we sat down at the Four Seasons Hotel in downtown. The construction was underway at Cinder House, the latest endeavor from chef and restaurateur Gerard Kraft. It was the very first episode of the Meet St. Louis podcast. Five years later, we have shared more than 240 episodes, introducing you to hundreds of chefs, brewers, and small business owners. It has been so much fun to share their stories, their journeys, and introduce you all to some place new and amazing in St. Louis. But a lot happens in five years, so we wanted to sit back down with Gerard to catch up. He's opened more restaurants and closed others and took on the epic title of Chief Flavor Officer for St. Louis City SC, putting our soccer stadium on the national stage for much more than just the action on the pitch. We dive into the big questions about the restaurant industry, how it's changed and evolved. Plus, we find out how someone who's championed our hospitality scene and helped put St. Louis on the map defines success and failure. Let's once again meet Gerard. Get the best price on brand name mattresses at Mattress Direct. You'll get the guaranteed lowest price and the non-commissioned sleep specialists will make sure you get the right mattress for the way you get to sleep. You'll sleep better knowing you got the best price on the right mattress when you shop local at St. Louis Mattress Direct. Well, thanks for joining us again on the podcast. Five years later, this is sort of our fifth anniversary episode and it's great to have you back.
1: That's good to be back. Feels like a lifetime.
0: I know. A lot has changed in yeah. five years. What would you say for you has been the biggest change?
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, That's really a, a hard one to...
0: To quantify? To
1: quantify in five years, you know. Um, you've opened
0: restaurants. You've closed restaurants. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I... I don't know if there's, you know, one singular thing that's that's changed. You know, I think we were talking off air for a second just about how how the world and, you know, how everybody views everything and uh, the economy and everything has just changed. So, you know, it, it, it literally is a different world than it was five years ago.
0: You've sort of become kind of, uh, you know, a huge restaurant advocate not only in our city but I think you know nationwide especially coming out of the pandemic how do you see the restaurant world here in the St. Louis area as it is today
1: I mean as far as how it looks today versus that I mean there's so many great restaurants you know so it it has only gotten stronger and better from from an availability standpoint you know from you know all the great restaurants that have opened from all the great restaurateurs around town uh you know I think the economics behind it have changed Mm -hmm. considerably and I think it's made it a lot harder for all of all of the above to to you know do great things so you know everybody's pushing everybody's still out there i think you know might just be a little trickier and everybody's having to get a lot smarter
0: would you say it's harder now than ever to open a restaurant
1: i would say it's harder now than ever to operate a restaurant yeah. <laughs> i don't know about anybody can open it. Right? it's easier <laughs> now than ever to open a restaurant i think it's harder to to uh make a sustainable restaurant
0: how do you do that? You have restaurants that have been obviously that have stood sort of the test of time here in St. Louis. How do you how do you do that?
1: Oof! How do you do that? You know, <laughs> I I don't think you know. I, I think we have restaurants that do better than other restaurants, mm-hmm. even um, you know. But I think that the key to our company's success is the amount of uh, really hardworking, intelligent people that we have on our our team, and we have. You know, everywhere from from finance to leadership to uh, to, you know, the creatives and the the chefs and uh, bartenders and stuff that we have in our company. That's that's the only way we are able to do what we do. Yeah. How
0: many people are in the niche food group? I think so.
1: Right now, I think we're somewhere around a three hundred and twenty something and we we had actually dipped quite a bit in the pandemic sure and so you know we've just really reached back to that point and beyond the that we were at before
0: when you moved to St. Louis uh did you ever think you'd have a company that would expand across this many restaurants that would involve you know more than 300 people
1: absolutely not no (laughs)
0: <laughs> for those that don't maybe know your full story, what brought you to St. Louis?
1: Yeah, so I came to St. Louis somewhat on a whim, you know, based on an ad on a website called Backpage, I believe. <laughs> uh, and I, I saw a wine bar for sale. And I thought, let's give it, give it a shot. I had seen a lot about St. Louis out there, especially one in particular. I remember there was this one... And I think it was even somewhat of an ad in Bon Appetit that had uh, something about Monarch and, and maybe uh, Larry Forgione's An American Place. Mm-hmm. And somewhere I had just read about Kevin open, uh buying Sydney Street Cafe. And so I saw all this promising stuff, and I loved the architecture from a distance. I had still never been to St. Louis.
0: <laughs> you had uh, never been here when you moved here. Never.
1: Never. <laughs> Uh, I know, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I flew here on January 1st in uh, 2005 mm-hmm. to look at this space. And I had worked New Year's Eve service in Salt Lake City, Utah. And then, you know... I'm
0: sure that was a fun flight. <laughs> oh,
1: it was awful. And I think I had the times wrong and had to fly standby. I mean, it was, it was a crazy day to get to St. Louis... <laughs> And then to get to this kind of, uh, you know, shack of a restaurant with dirt floors, a hole in the ground where the kitchen became, uh, boards on the windows with graffiti and a sign that said, wine bar for sale. (laughs) And I was like, this is the one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What made you think that?
1: You know, I, I don't know. I just I loved the vibe of Fenton Park and, you know, it. I think the size of the space reminded me a, a lot of the, the places that I really loved at the time in New York City, like Prune and uh, the Tasting Room, you know, and a, and a few others. But I don't know, it just, it it, it had the vibe that I wanted and uh, was really affordable. And I said, <laughs> why not? Let's Let's, and you
0: moved let's here, do this. and you and did it, and I, you opened the doors.
1: Literally, yeah, all of these things. I knew nobody, and then I realized I had all of this St. Louis history mm-hmm. that I never knew. Yeah. Yeah, Like, but I wasn't brought here because of my family history <laughs> right. here or anything.
0: And when you look back over these almost 20 years, mm-hmm. what stands out to you the most? Uh, what has... What made you say, "This, this is home"?
1: You're asking a lot of these really hard questions. <laughs> these are big questions. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I I remember early on a friend of mine, Dan Burkhart, took me out to his farm, and he owned uh, Bethlehem Valley, a uh, Bethlehem Valley winery, and took me out to his farm and uh, and winery, I guess, and. I was like, this is amazing out here. So, you know, this really reminds me of being in Europe or uh I don't know, just the, the beauty of that area mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen it yet. And I think at that point I realized that there was there was more to Saint Louis than just Saint Louis. There was there was a lot around it that I could really fall in love with and uh since then I've really, you know, embraced that.
0: You have in your almost you know, twenty years here. It's incredible to me how many people we've had on this podcast over the last five years that have sort of credited you or your restaurants with helping launch their careers. What does that mean to you to see your chefs, the people that you have worked with, go on and to create what now is just, you know, one of, I think, the best restaurant and food scenes in the country?
1: And I agree with that statement. You know, it was one (laughs) of the most underrated food scenes in the entire country, Um, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, people are, people are really everything in, in niche food group. And, you know, I've always said that, you know, even when we won the James Beard award that I didn't win that James Beard alone, Mm -hmm. you know, there were so many people working for so many years to make that award happen. And, you know, niche food group really is kind of, um, you know a buildup of all these amazing people that have come through through the doors and added their added their bits of knowledge to it and we've been so fortunate to have so many incredible people stop through here so
0: you haven't stopped. <laughs> you are still opening up new spots. Walk us through what's on the horizon for niche food group. Uh,
1: okay, so the big ones, you know we have expat yeah. Let's and talk about that. That got delayed a little bit, but we're, you know, probably looking beginning of 2024 for that one. And tell um, us
0: what the vision there is. What made yeah. you look at the foundry and which you were, you know, kind of a part of and, and say that's, that's the spot we want to open up another restaurant.
1: Yeah, I met the Smiths who opened the foundry um, probably right before COVID hit. And, and we started talking about. You know some of the some of the struggles they were having in curating the right mix of restaurant partners, and so we jumped on board and came to work with them to to help with that. And um, you know now is you know one of my favorite places yeah. to eat. Just also
0: to... another place that's coming up on its two-year milestone and God, in... really yeah it'll be two years so like in a month, um, which. And if you look at just everything that they've done with that space, from the food to the retail to the entertainment aspect.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. And, and the food vendors who are in there are, are so inspiring to me. So, you know, that that was an amazing project to work on. And then, you know, around that time, obviously with COVID, they lost a lot of their big uh, big box tenants. Mm-hmm. And so we started taking a look at what was supposed to be called Fassler Hall Mm. and talking about it in terms of barbecue. And a long time ago, we had actually planned to open a barbecue restaurant downtown where actually where the sugar fire is (laughs) now down, you know, part of that MX Mm -hmm. development where we had Pirano Um, and it didn't pan out, but, I never really forgot the concept and and what we were going for with it was to be cooking barbecue with American, you know, barbecue techniques, but, but using flavors from, from elsewhere. And so that's kind of what, what the basis of expat is. And I think it's evolved more since then, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, really fun barbecue with flavors from all over the world. And it's, It's different than just saying, like, we're going to try to recreate somebody's Mm. recipe because we didn't want to be that place. We're not trying to do authentic Chinese food. We're not, uh, you know, trying to uh, do authentic African food, uh, authentic Japanese. We're trying to do look at it like an expat you know what What would we be cooking if we went to mm. these countries and we had our own techniques you know and if you think about it it's kind of how how we all came to America and how you've seen every kind of you know American cuisine emerge is that is somebody coming from somebody, somewhere else and cooking through their own lens with somebody else's ingredients mm-hmm. and so I think that's that's how we're looking at it. And, you know, it's a lot of fun. We kind of dabbled in doing some of that with photos, mm-hmm. uh, and Which had a great Which is your piece of spot in the yep. foundry.
0: Um, and, yeah, there's so many different ways you can approach. I mean, barbecue to one person means something completely different to another.
1: Yeah, and, you know, there's so much great barbecue in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we weren't trying to, to just do that. Um, you know, the, the competition is stiff in there, and we're, we weren't trying to step on anybody's toes in that market. And we wanted to do something that, that wasn't really available at this point and uh, something we thought other people might really enjoy.
0: And in there, you just dropped the name Pirano, which um, <laughs> was your sort of fast casual concept downtown that closed actually right after almost we did that first episode five years ago. Yep. So, five years later, you're bringing it back.
1: We are. I don't know. It's amazing how everything just kind of comes full circle. I know.
0: What? What did it? Was it something that just kind of always stuck in your mind that you you wanted to bring this back? I mean, yeah, I'm I mean, super pumped because
1: <laughs> I loved I piranha. loved piranha yeah. so much. Uh, you know, and I think that that's what we hear the most from from people. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I think it wasn't a, a failed concept in that that we didn't like what we were doing. We really did but I think we didn't understand some of the economics at the time. And, um, you know, I think we were, we were reliant on, on trying to have a lunch and dinner business in an area that mm-hmm. they really only catered to lunch business yeah. at the time. We had We had a lot of struggles with like parking and, you know, the way that we were set up down there. So, you know, when we look at a kind of convenience-based business, mm-hmm. which fast Casual really is, you want people to be able to, like, pop in and out. And, and where we were downtown, I mean, you had to, like, go into a garage or something like that. And so it was it, it was a lot of... There were a lot of obstacles in our way. And, you know, so we didn't make it then, but it's something that's that's stayed, you know, in our minds for a long time. And... We thought about bringing it back early in the pandemic Mm -hmm. and then we decided, well, we want to bring it back, but we don't want to do it in such a rushed, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Band-Aid like way. And so uh, if anybody remembers the the debacle that was Pirano 2.0, when we briefly switched up the menu, like trying to understand some things, it was a catastrophe and we didn't we really didn't want to go through that again. So, you know, when we brought Pirano back, we, we really wanted to bring it back right, bring it back the original way, mm-hmm. um, but with, you know, a smarter team behind it now.
0: And you guys are going to De Pere. When's the, what's the timeline looking like?
1: Uh, we're looking probably at March or April of 24.
0: Okay. So 24 is going to be a big year. <laughs>
1: it's going to be a huge year. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, you know, one of the other things that you've done in uh, the last five years is become the... What you have a you have a crazy title with the soccer team? <laughs> food. What is it? What are you, chief flavor officer? That's it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Which you know is hard to say with a straight face.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. But bringing your talent into that sort of food aspect of STLSC, what did that mean to you to be approached?
1: Well, I actually. Are you uh, approached, I, I approached them? them. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and. I I, I had heard that they were trying to get a team, and so I reached out to Carolyn Kendall and said, "Hey, I've got some ideas around stadiums. You know, I know that you guys don't have a team yet, and you guys, you know, this is all just kind of talks at the moment." I said, "But when you get to that point, I would love to be a part of the conversation." And so I think it was—it was probably a couple of years later. And she said, you know, if you're still interested, yeah. uh, you know, we've got the team and, uh, you know, we'd love to talk to you about what we could do. And so I, you know, met them all at HOK, the architect's office, mm-hmm. and quickly realized how much bigger of a deal <laughs> this thing was than than I had thought. And I had thought of, you know, like a very small uh dinky little stadium and uh you know and try to make it fun for people and you know right when I got to HOK and saw you know a bunch of their plans and stuff that they were thinking about yeah I was I was like oh my god what what is happening and uh and that was it and uh you know just kept pushing forward with them immediately I said I'm in whatever you guys want um
0: and you guys have created something so unique in bringing together basically the best of what St. Louis offers when it comes to food in a sports team environment. Has it surpassed what you imagined it would be?
1: Yes. Um, you know, I just think people are excited. And, uh, you know, I, I say past where I imagined, but I, I, th- I think we knew it could be something really, really big. And I think that, you know, I think the thing that we were all a little nervous about and people told us to be nervous about was that we weren't looking for any of the bigger players Mm. really in town. And, you know, a lot of this was was people who only had one location. And so, you know, a lot of the big warnings from people were like, these people are not going to be able to handle it. Right. You know, there's a lot of volume in a very short amount of time. And I said, look. You know, I've been I've been going to a bunch of these stadiums around. And the one thing that I've noticed is that, the, you know, the partner vendors are doing it better than the stadium <laughs> operator. Right. And so and uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. But uh, I said, I, you know, I think they can do it. And, you know, maybe one or two won't be able to do it and, you know, be able to replace them next year. But uh, everybody has really just stepped up and uh, it's been incredible to watch uh, all of these smaller restaurants just, uh, I mean, rise to the occasion in such a major way and in in a bigger way than anybody even thought because the volume is just insane. Yeah,
0: when you are there and obviously people come there for soccer, but you have created and the team has created just this experience that's so much larger than soccer.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the the coolest things was when they brought on uh Matt Siebeck uh who's Matt's there? fantastic. Yeah, Matt's <laughs> incredible. Uh best best dresser in the stadium.
0: <laughs> I know. I don't know how he does it <laughs> in a blazer in some of these hot games. Oh my
1: gosh. <laughs> it's crazy. Um but, you know, it it, it just speaks to the ownership's uh Vision and and how much you know Carolyn and Lee really wanted to to create something that was bigger than just soccer. This isn't just sports. This this whole thing is is number one an amazing experience, as you said. You know, most mm-hmm. people don't talk about sports in the way of experiences, yeah. uh, but this really is a, a full experience. But it's also something where they really wanted uh, as many people as possible to feel seen Mm -hmm. in that, you know, uh, as far as, you know, the representation and cuisines that we have, um, you know, and then even beyond beyond that, they, uh, you know, they wanted to create kind of a legacy for for the tailors. And I think this is something that's spoken to. Not just St. Louis, but they wanted to change the way that that stadiums are seen worldwide, and the biggest compliment that we can get is that people are coming from stadiums all over the country mm-hmm. looking to see how did they do that <laughs> and you know this is the number one I uh, believe it's the highest concessions in all of MLS really at the moment
0: that's amazing, yeah well, because again you're getting something that you don't get at most other stadiums.
1: <laughs> no, and, you know, really looking at it, the big thing, I was trying to think of it a second ago, uh, but, you know, the biggest thing that they do is that they're trying to funnel so much money back into the community, Yeah. right? So, you know, these aren't sponsors or anything like that. So, you know, when, when you go buy something from one of these local vendors, that's putting money right back into the community. And... Even so far as in the suites, and you know the where Levy is making the food, you know they're you know pushing to use more and more uh, local farmers for all of that food. Again, another thing that is just kind of unheard of in in s- sports culinary.
0: Yeah, I mean when you when you talk about that and the ownership group of the soccer team, it really does to me speak to a lot of what I think people see. To you as a restaurant owner, for what you've done to really lift up St. Louis and the different neighborhoods where your restaurants are, I don't, know, I don't want to ask you to like brag on yourself, but <laughs> is that something that that you really work to set an example for for other restaurateurs, other restaurant ownership groups, and, and it's something much larger than than the owner.
1: Yeah, you know, I think I think the coolest thing for me. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm a hyper competitive human being. And uh, so, you know, I think as I as I got older in starting to realize that that my own competition can sometimes even get in my way mm. and that, that I'm better off, you know, bringing everybody along this journey with me. And, you know, I think so to me, that's where I am getting. Uh, the most satisfaction in my job is you know being able to see other restaurants start to succeed being able to see chefs succeed you know whether it's in our group or outside of our group and so you know I don't know if that's just me being very old at this point <laughs> but uh but you know that, that's the most gratis- gratifying part of my job is to to help others rise up
0: what and I don't know if you can name it, is something that you view as one of your biggest successes?
1: Oh, my God. Uh, Okay. Well, it's funny because what I'm about to say almost contradicts what I'm about to say. (laughs) But, you know, when we shifted the culture at at Niche Food Group, and so, you know, in 2012, I uh, just was having a really rough time, you know, everybody's kind of heard this story by now but uh, you know really needed to kind of change the way I was living, the way I was looking at running a business and really learning how to manage a bigger business and so we set on this path to change the culture of our group which took a long time (laughs) I thought it was going to be an overnight transition, Uh, it was not and you know To the point of people kind of laughing at me when I first started saying, like, you know, this is not you. And this is ridiculous. Uh, And, you know, I think to me, my biggest accomplishment, again, this is where it gets contradictory, is it was our biggest accomplishment as a group because it took not just me. It took kind of everybody stepping up and it took me to stop thinking about myself a little bit more and to kind of again uh, you know use everybody's minds to you know solve all of the problems in our restaurants and uh, you know seeing where we're at today with our group and the people that we have working in our group, the benefits that we have in our group, um, you know the the level of um, professionalism in our group I think that that to me is the greatest success.
0: Do you view yourself as like a, a leader in the industry in terms of you mentioned benefits? And I think that if someone looks at sort of what the benefits are that Niche Food Group offers, uh, do you hope that that sets a new standard? Something that you really, I think, talked a lot about during the pandemic was, hey, we need to do better for the people that are working in all of our restaurants. If yeah, we want and to
1: Yeah, you know, I think and, and they are. You know, I think I think lots of people are starting to to step up. You know, things that we were doing, you know, five years ago, now you're starting to see kind of being implemented. Um, and I think you know, if there is a silver lining to COVID, that is that is definitely one of them. Um, you know, do I do I think we're we're the standard? I, you know, I don't know. We're just trying to continue to to push. But I think our team. You know, Kate Wolverton, our chief operating officer, uh, is just kind of relentless uh, at at trying to make things better for everybody who who works in our group, and uh, it's great.
0: On the flip side of the biggest success, how do you handle failure, and what do you consider a failure? When you close a restaurant, do you consider that a failure? Do you see that just as Part of this journey what does failure mean to you
1: so failure is one of our core values mm. five core values and uh, failure is one of them and it's more about like embracing failure and yeah. and really trying to to one not not let both the thought of failure um and the actually failing knock you down but but using it to to help better you and help bring you up and you know, learning from things. And I think that the fear of failure gets in so many people's way yeah. so often. You know, we want to encourage everybody in our group to take chances. You know, obviously, you know, value-based chances, but, uh, but chances. You know, we, you don't have to, you know, run everything up the pole to, mm-hmm. you know, as long as it's kind of in line with our values and, and where we're going as a team. Uh, We want people to take risks. And I think, you know, taking risks is the only way uh, to succeed. But, uh, you know, with risk, uh, you know, uh, comes a lot of failure. Yeah. And that's okay.
0: Can you point to any of your restaurants that have uh, felt like the biggest risk?
1: Felt like the biggest. I mean, God, you know, they've all been. (laughs) Everything's been a risk. I mean, I remember when Pasteria was opening. uh, I, I couldn't speak. I literally, I was, it was the biggest risk I had ever taken in my life. Uh, you know, the amount of, uh, the amount of both debt and, uh, you know, personal guarantees that I was, that I was putting down yeah. were uh, overwhelming. So, I mean, you know, those and, are big financial and risks. And look at it now. But, I uh, mean, it's, and it's regularly yeah. packed. Yeah.
0: I mean, we love going there and it's
1: and i'm so happy people keep loving it (laughs) knock on wood um and again you know we 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 keep respecting that and we keep uh trying to go back and evaluate every day you know are we still still doing our best Mm -hmm. and is everybody pushing and is everybody kind of reevaluating every day and you know uh how can we be better today so you know we we respect those risks and and we respect the winds yeah. and try not to, to sit on those winds.
0: We are, are sitting in Bowood right now, another spot that you've opened in the last five years, um, a spot that was you know, well-loved by the community. What intrigued you here to, to help bring this back into, into the neighborhood?
1: So, I mean, the space is amazing. Yes, it really is. You know, you're, you're in a garden. I mean, that comes with little hurdles every now and then. <laughs> you'll see a fly or something like that. and might be a little, you know, uh, warmer at times than other places. Uh, but, but, I mean, it's just beautiful. You go out on our patio that we've kind of expanded and, um, it, you know, it feels like you're in a farmhouse in Italy or something. And... So that that drew me to it. Uh, they had never done dinner mm-hmm. before, and so that kind of excited me to see you know, see that patio and everything at, at nighttime. You know, it's it's so gorgeous, and um, yeah, I mean, so being in a garden all day, you know, I <laughs> I want to live here. Right. You know, my office is here on purpose. Oh, is as it? Well, yeah. Oh, okay, let's. Well, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful space, and uh, you know, again, it's it's. I think it's one of those things about each of your spaces is that they do feel very unique. They are all kind of a, a different, obviously a different cuisine, um, but there's a different vibe at so yeah. many of your spots.
1: And this is cool because, you know, people come in to shop at the plant store, or, you know, go to holiday across the street to, you know, check out, like, some of the awesome goods they have curated and, and need to eat. and uh and we're here for him.
0: you're here for him. when we look ahead to the next five years you talked about 2024 being a big year how far ahead are you thinking are you constantly sort of thinking of new ideas things that you still want to do cuisine you want to bring to St. Louis what what's going through your mind
1: my brain is a mess (laughs) my, my brain is literally always thinking it's uh uh, it's it's intense in my head, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're we're always looking down the road, and uh, you know, five years, ten years, it, you know, who we want to be. This is a conversation we have often in our group. You know, again with Kate Wolverton and Chris Brees and Evie Svoboda and uh, Jen Masser, um, you know, our, our upper management team are always just talking about who are we going to be. What does five years look like? What do we want it to look like? How do we make that happen?
0: (laughs) I can't say enough how much it means to me to have each of you tune in every week to hear these stories. It's my favorite part of the week to sit down with the wonderful people making St. Louis an incredible place to call home. What's even more amazing is the hundreds of new stories that are still out there to be shared. Stay tuned because five years in, we're just getting started. Thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here next week.